<clears throat> well, you can tell who's at the door by how the dog barks. If it is a medium pitch, it is a car going by, and it is a warning bark. Don't come any closer to the house than you're driving by. But if the dog lowers his pitch into a menacing and clenching his teeth into a menacing growl being interpreted, if you open that door, I will tear the cat's head off. That means a cat's walking by or one of those ugly ducks. It was early in the fourth century that a man named Arius posing as a Christian preacher, walked by the door of the church proclaiming that there was a time in eternity past that Jesus was not and that he was a creation of the Father. And the church clenched its teeth and growled lowly and basically said, if you allow the church door open, I will tear Arius's head off. We can thank a man named Athanasius. You should have him as a hero of your life. He was an early church father who fought at the Council of Nicaea to defend the orthodox position that Jesus was God and is God. Now, these church leaders didn't make this up. They didn't create this in their minds. They didn't form this doctrine. It was handed down to the church, which Paul calls the pillar and ground of the truth. He handed it down through the very words and statements of Jesus Christ himself. Of all passages, and there are many that declare the deity of Jesus Christ, there are none more powerful than John chapter 5 in his long discourse to the religious leaders. They were angry that he healed on the Sabbath day, but they were furious that he'd made himself equal with God. In his statement in John chapter 5, which he says that God is always at work, therefore I am always at work, therefore I am no created being, Arius' statement was, there was a time when he was not. To which Athenaeus replied, there was never a time that he was not. He is from all eternity co-equal with God Almighty. That is a doctrine and teaching of the church that causes preachers to growl, lower their head and say, don't touch that. Because if you destroy who Jesus claimed to be, you have destroyed the gospel. He is no longer the Savior and Messiah of his people. That is the central truth of the gospel that Jesus claimed to be God. If he was not God, he was not the perfect Lamb of God. His blood that was spilt does nothing to remove our sins. We are yet in our sins. We have not been redeemed. And it is the core source of persecution throughout all the ages for the church. If you will notice the track of history of persecution against the church, it always came from the religious aspect in man. Out of the gates, 
I mean out of the gates for the church, was the persecution of the Jews over this central teaching that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh, to which the Jews replied, there is but one God, not two. You Christians are polytheistic in your approach, to which we say, no, we are monotheistic. We believe in one God, co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, introducing the concept of the Trinitarian God. That's who hounded Paul, and that's why they hated him. The Greeks thought it was ridiculous in their Greek religion that said all matter is evil, all spirit is good. You Christians say Jesus came in a physical, material body? That's foolishness to us. We count you as, well, we don't count you at all down the road. The next form of persecution came from the Roman Empire when it, when it said and stated that Caesar was Lord and caused its subjects by the year A.D. 200 to, be, to require once a year to burn incense to Caesar and say, out of their mouths, Caesar is Lord. To which if they didn't, they were disloyal Roman Empire citizens and caused a great persecution because the Christians would not say it. They would say, Jesus is Lord and that's it. The next form of persecution at the church came in the form of the Roman Catholic Church, of the Spanish Inquisitions and the Inquisitions down through the Middle Ages. What you and I believe today would be counted as heresy during that time by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church says, we are Lord. And Christians said, no, Jesus is Lord, not the church. Great persecution against, you mark it down through the Reformation. You mark it down through the state church of the land of England. The reason pilgrims came over here because they were told to worship under the state church to which Christians said no the state church of England is not our Lord. Jesus is our Lord we'll worship him in freedom. Today Christians are attacked all over the world by religion. The Muslim religion and other religions. We live in a polytheistic, Socratic environment. If you say Jesus is the only way to heaven, if you say Christ is God and no other, you are persecuted today. There are men and women losing their lives in foreign countries, locked up for years, for proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the rub of the gospel. That is the irritation. That is the hatred from the world. We say this world is not Lord. No politician is Lord. We submit to no politician. We submit to Jesus as God. We didn't make that up. We didn't create this fable. Listen to the very words of Jesus Christ as he claims in seven different ways. In fact, I love this passage because he starts out saying, as the Father works, I work. And they said, oh, time out. You're, 
you're saying you're equal with God. And rather than backtrack and back the screw up out of the wood and say, whoa, 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 not saying that. He takes six more screws and drives them into the board. You think I'm saying I'm God? Let me tell you six more reasons. I gave you five of them last week, and let me reiterate before we go on. First of all, the Father works, I work. Second of all, the will of the Father is my will. Whatever His will is, I do fully. Now, how does He know the will of God? Because number three, the actions of the Father are the actions of the Son. Well, how does He know the actions of the Father? How does He know the actions of the Son? How does He know that? Because the Father shows Him all things. How does an infinite God show a normal man all things? He's no normal man. He is co-equal with God. You cannot brace to someone's intellect that is not equal to yours. You cannot do that. You might show them some things, but not all things. So he's equal in work. He's equal in will. He's equal in the actions that he performs. He's equal in his intellect. He's also equal in his ability to give life. Look with me down to verse 25 as we nail the last two screws into the board. Truly, truly, I listen up. I say to you, an hour is coming. And if you'll open your eyes, it's here right now, he says. When the dead will hear the voice of of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. These are not the words of a man. These are the words of God himself. Notice who hears. The dead hear, and only the dead. The living do not hear, only the dead. Only the dead hear his voice, not the living. Let that sink in. He's not talking about those who are dead in a grave. He's talking about all humanity who is dead in their sins. Only the dead hear. You ever share the gospel with somebody and they go, thanks for sharing, let's go get a milkshake. Thanks for sharing, what are we doing next week? You're talking to a dead person. Do you know that? You're talking to a dead person. That's why you don't get a response when you're so excited about Jesus and you share Jesus with somebody, and they're like, that's great. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing. You're talking to a dead person. The only voice that can penetrate the deadness of man is the voice of Jesus Christ. Therefore, don't share your opinion. Share the scripture. Share what Jesus claimed. Share the gospel. It's his voice to them. Only the dead hear it. I thank God at 19 years old, I realized I was dead. I heard his voice. These are powerful words. These are not the words the son of a carpenter. These are the words of the son of God. Notice verse 26. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has appointed, the word means appointed or granted the Son also to have life in himself. He didn't give the Son life in himself. He appointed the truth that the Son would also have life within himself. Now, what does it mean to have life within yourself? None of you have life within yourself. Taking away the sufficient amount of oxygen, you're gone. Y'all, y'all right now, just work on your heart beating. Concentrate on your heart beating. You don't do it, do you? You have life from somebody else. You are a life form as all things are in God's created order that draws its life from a source. Do you understand? Jesus said, just as the Father has life within himself, he doesn't get life from any outside source. He is the very core and essence of life itself. Not generating it. He is it. This is boggles to the mind. That as the Father has life within himself, not driving it from anything else, so Jesus Christ has life. You can't make any statement more equal to God than that. Nothing in the created order has life within itself. Only God does. Can you imagine a life that has always been? It has never been more than it is right now. And never will be less than it is right now. It never started. It never began at a point where something crawled out of a muddy pond. He has always been the source and core of all of life. And so is the Son. Look at verse 26. And he has given him authority. So number six, he is the life possessor. He works all the time because the Father works all the time. He does the will of the Father because he knows the will of the Father. All his actions are the Father. All of his actions are the Father's actions. All the intellect of the Father he possesses, and now he has all the life the Father possesses, every bit of it, in himself, not deriving it from anyone. Number seven, and he has given him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. Now we have a new thought introduced to us. The reason he will stand at the end and judge is because he lived a perfect life in a body just like yours. He is one of us, and he conquered sin. He can judge compassionately. Now think of it. The Father could do the same thing. I mean, the Father knows all things. He created us. He could be compassionate. But here he is given for the Son to be the judge at the end. This is why the world hates him. This is why the evolutionists hate him. That's why if you're not careful in the world that you live in, you will buy into the the hatred of the creator God of Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. John told us, love not the world nor the things of the world. The reason they hate Jesus Christ is because he has brought to us the Father. He is the Father. And in the end of days, they know within their souls they will stand before them and give account of their lives. Daniel Webster said the most sobering thought he ever thought was his accountability before God. That's why they want you to think you came from a monkey. 
Now, I have some relatives in my ancestry tree that perhaps beg to that argument. But we were created by a personal God. And we give account to that personal God. That's why they hate Him. You can pray to God all you want in our society. You just tack on the name of Jesus Christ. Watch their hairs come up on end. You you see, Caesar said this. I don't care what God you worship. Just burn to me one time a year. And then go worship whatever you want. I don't care. I don't care. This world says, yeah, you can believe in your Jesus if you want. Just as long as you don't believe what he said. That I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, if we believe we are right with the gospel, then what does that make them? You can only have one way and one path. It makes them wrong. And it condemns them. You know, it occurred to me the other day in the first century, wherever the gospel was preached, the whole town was thrown into a riot. Paul was beaten and driven out of town. And yet the gospel is, well, a message is preached today. And there's no rub. Do you understand? Look at verse 28. Do not be marveled at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Whose voice? The voice of the Son of Man. They will hear the voice of Jesus Christ, and they will all come out. Before we go on, I want you to think about that. They all come out. That includes you and I. His life is not the end. In fact, it's just the beginning. And God, who is able to draw all things back to himself. Now, you you just think about the people that have been cremated. And their ashes have been sprinkled over the Atlantic Ocean. Absorbed into the elements. He is able to call them out of that. What power. Uh, We we have our English Bible, uh, much to the thanks of a fellow named Tyndale. Uh, Tyndale was labeled a heretic by the Roman Catholic Church and persecuted. In fact, years after his death, uh, his bones were dug up and burned by the church and scattered over the countryside. That's how much they hated this man. They dug him up, burned his bones, and scattered him. Tyndale has nothing to worry about when Jesus comes. He'll be drawn out. The church can do whatever they want with my bones. He's coming, and he's calling us out of the tomb. And every one of us is pulling out of that thing. This life is not the end. In fact, in the words of Gandorf, it is just the beginning. This thing has just started. Well, what happens after we're uh, drawn out of the grave? Take a look at it in verse, verse 29. And they all come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sure looks like our works have something to do with our resurrection destiny. No. 
At this point, we understand the Scripture like this. We we understand the Scripture by a law of non-contradiction. Listen carefully. If there are a number of passages that clearly teach a certain thing, and then you have another verse that comes along and looks like it's a contradiction, then you take the verse that appears as though it's a contradiction and you must interpret it according to the clear revelation of a set of verses that is very clear. It's the law of non-contradiction. There are no contradictions in the Word of God. I said that to a group of about 30 atheists and they laughed me to scorn. They thought that was the most hilarious thing they'd ever heard and went about to show me all the contradictions in the Bible. I was... uh, well, all of them. I mean, we didn't have time for all their... I mean, they showed me thousands. Anyway, they showed me a couple. Easily explain. Ignorance. We know that we're saved by grace. We know that no man can go to heaven by his works. It is not possible to do that. Because the Bible says there is none good. No, not one. Therefore, we know that we have been saved by grace. Through faith. And that, the faith, not even of ourselves. So we know that this divine nature has been placed within us as a free gift of God by hearing the voice of Jesus Christ in a state of deadness and coming to life again. We know that. So what does that verse mean? Those who have the divine nature within them, who have been born again, have been made good by Jesus Christ as, as, because he lives there. Therefore, as a result of Christ in us, we do good things. It's said of Jesus that he went about the country doing good things. And when he lives in us, he does good things in us. Because the core of us is good. Because he's there. The lost man, no matter how many good things he might do, the hospitals he might build, the help and the money he might give here and there, The Bible says that all of his goodness is as filthy rags. All the righteousness, not the good stuff of man, the good things he does. Before God is nothing but unrighteousness. Therefore, he can only do evil things. Therein is an explanation of the end of that verse. We who God has placed his good spirit and good life in manifest that by him doing good works Showing what, how we really are. Those who core is evil because they haven't been redeemed can do nothing but evil in the sight of God, not the sight of man. Notice the next verse and we're done. Verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge And my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Perfectly aligned with the Father. Uh, We have a justice apparatus in our country. Sometimes it works well, and sometimes it absolutely does not. It's not a perfect justice. But it is what it is. But when God judges the secrets of men's hearts, there will be nothing said 
years ago an avowed atheist said that when he stands before God, he will shake a cancerous bone in the face of God. To which W.A. Criswell, pastor of First Baptist of Dallas, Texas, years ago, has said, oh no, sir, you will shake nothing in the face of God. The... Uh, the Russian cosmonauts years ago went up into space and made the announcement that God, they looked around and God was not there. To which a preacher replied, step out of your capsule, sir, and you will see God. Easy to say it when you got air oxygen sucking down your lungs, isn't it? When Arius went by the church in the early 4th century and said, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm just not preaching the gospel where Jesus is God. The church appropriately lowered its head, gritted its teeth, growled a very low growl, and said, get out of here. He was declared a heretic by the church council, as many men were back then who tried to twist the truth of the gospel. These are not fables made up today. This is truth from God's word as they took it from the lips of Jesus Christ and from the teaching of the apostles. The Mormons are wrong. He is God. The Jehovah Witnesses are wrong. He is God. The Christian science are wrong. He is God. All these cults that claim Christianity, they are wrong because he is God. Now, just let the door open. I'll tear your head off. I'm sorry. That was a little rough, wasn't it? <laughs> Caesar is not Lord. Churches are not Lord. Only Jesus Christ is Lord. Go on to the stake for that one. Go and get burned for that one. Never let that go. Number one, only the dead can hear him. Only the dead. Be patient with people. Pray for them until the Spirit of God breaks through that deadness. They're not going to hear a thing. They're not going to hear a thing. Okay? Old Robert Murray McShane used to stand before his church. And he said, some of you have been with me for years and you haven't come to Christ. You haven't come to Christ. Why haven't you come to Christ? And he preached like that. And I mean, yet, as all preachers look out and know of folks who don't know Christ and you know, y'all leave, and I just, I start right here, and just, I, I just get a running start and ram my head into that sheetrock wall and think, why, why didn't they come to Christ? Only the dead can hear. Only the dead. Number two, he alone is able to penetrate that deadness. He alone. You can't get through that deal. I don't care how many can openers you got, you're not opening that thing. He's got to go through that deadness to get. Thank God, by the way, if you know Christ, he got through to your deadness. You heard him. First time I, I ever encountered death as a young boy was my grandfather. I remember standing next to my grandmother at his casket. His name was John. And uh, I remember her leaning over to him. It was probably the first emotional experience I had, probably four or five years old. And I remember her saying these words. In tears, John, I will always love you. 
I will always love you. The Father looks at us in our deadness and says, I will always love you. But you know, Grandma Gaylor couldn't get through to him, but Jesus Christ can get through to the deadness. And number three, he gives that life as a gift. Nobody earns that saying. The great life giver gives life. And when that life comes in, there are no tingles in my body. There are no explosions going on. Perhaps the weight of guilt is lifted off of me. But it is by faith we believe that we have been saved. It is not by emotion or experience. That is a deep abiding truth. He gives that life as a gift.